Dan Quintana here and you are listening to the Physiology and Behaviour Podcast. Now, in uh, my time as an academic, I reviewed a ton of meta-analyses and uh, I seem to notice the same problems pop up time and time again. And uh, this is something I've been wanting to either write a paper about or do a podcast on uh, or do a blog about. But then um, around the middle of uh, last year, I had a um, journal editor contact me, uh, inviting me to write a paper on issues in meta-analysis, and I thought this was a perfect opportunity to talk about these things. So I wrote up a paper uh, focusing on three things, uh, lack of pre-registration, uh, misinterpretation of funnel plots and publication bias, and effect size dependencies. And uh, this is going to be the topic of uh, this episode, which is uh, going to be an audio paper or an audio version of this paper. So all the uh, links and all the relevant data scripts will be put in the show notes if you are interested. I hope you enjoy it. Remedies for three common issues in meta-analysis. Meta-analysis has become a popular tool to synthesize data from a body of work investigating a common research question. Combining several effect sizes facilitates the estimation of a summary effect size. As this provides a putatively objective means of summarizing a body of data, it has become the most cited type of study design and the gold standard for evidence when developing health guidelines. However, there are several issues in meta-analysis that can contribute to inaccuracies. Due to these limitations, meta-analysis, or megasilliness, to borrow a term from an early detractor, has been criticized for almost as long as the method has been available. There are several tools to help ensure meta-analysis quality, which will be outlined later in this story, but first, let's consider this fictitious extract from the results section of a meta-analysis that I'll use to briefly illustrate three common issues in meta-analysis. As hypothesized, a meta-analysis synthesizing eight effect sizes from seven studies suggests that social media usage is positively associated with self-reported levels of anxiety, with a Pearson's R value of 0.73 and a p-value of 0.038. Egger's regression test suggested no evidence of publication bias with a p-value of 0.19. When this imaginary author who also happens to be releasing a book on the dangers of social media, initially searched for studies, they actually found nine studies fulfilling their inclusion criteria. However, the summary effect size of this meta-analysis of nine studies was associated with a p-value of 0.061. As this outcome would hinder the chances of publication and book sales, they took a closer look at study six, which reported a negative association between social media usage and anxiety levels. This study happened to be the earliest study included in the meta-analysis. As this study did not include Instagram usage, which became popular during 2012, they adjusted the eligibility criteria to only include studies published from 2013 onwards, justified by a post-hoc hypothesis that Instagram usage is most associated with anxiety. With the removal of this study, the meta-analysis became statistically significant. While this fabricated scenario might seem extreme at first glance, almost 40% of over 2,000 surveyed psychologists admitted that they had excluded data after looking at the impact of doing so. Meta-analysis pre-registration provides a remedy to analytic flexibility as it provides an a priori record of the researcher's analysis intentions. In the above example, exclusion criteria would have been specified before the analysis was conducted. A common critique of pre-registered analyses 
is that they offer no flexibility for analysis. However, this is incorrect as pre-registration does not lock the researcher into a specific plan, but instead helps clearly delineate pre-planned and exploratory analysis. In the above case, the researcher would be free to report their analysis with the removal of the study, but they would have to state their reasoning, which is flimsy at best. For guidance, the preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analysis protocols, also known as PRISMA-P, provides a list of items that should be addressed in the meta-analysis protocol. There are several options available for meta-analysis pre-registration. First, a time-stamped meta-analysis protocol following PRISMA-P guidelines can be uploaded to Open Science Framework. Second, if the meta-analysis investigates a health-related outcome, it can be pre-registered at Prospero. The Prospero website guides the researcher through a step-by-step registration form, which is used to generate a pre-registration record. These records can be amended, but any changes are time-stamped. Third, a meta-analysis protocol can be submitted for peer review at a number of journals, such as systematic reviews. While the peer review process obviously takes more time than uploading a protocol, it can provide important feedback that can improve the meta-analysis. Fourth, a meta-analysis can be submitted using the registered reports format, in which the meta-analysis is reviewed in two stages. In the first stage, the meta-analysis introduction and method sections are peer-reviewed before data collection. If the study, rationale, and methodology is deemed appropriate, the journal will provide provisional acceptance of the final paper. Once the data is collected and analysed, the paper is submitted again for the second stage review, which includes the same introduction and methods as stage one, but with the addition of results and conclusions. In the second stage review, the focus is on whether the results and interpretation are in line with the pre-approved method. Importantly, paper acceptance is not contingent on the statistical significance of the results. As of August 2018, there are 42 journals that offer registered reports for meta-analysis, with the majority of these journals publishing research from the bi-behavioral sciences. Publication bias is a well-recognized issue in meta-analysis. As statistically significant studies are more likely to be published, it is likely that there are several non-significant studies left languishing in researchers' file drawers for any given research area which cannot contribute to meta-analyses. Thus, a meta-analysis summary effect size may not best represent the true effect size. A common approach to assess the risk of publication bias is to construct a a funnel plot which plots effect sizes against a measure of variance. A symmetrical funnel plot is indicative of a low risk of publication bias. Despite the inherent subjectivity of visually inspecting a funnel plot to assess evidence of asymmetry, many researchers still rely on this tool. Now let's return to our imaginary study. As our fictitious researcher was aware of issues with subjective funnel plot assessments, they objectively assessed asymmetry by constructing a funnel plot. As researchers are poor at identifying asymmetry from funnel plots, they followed recommendations and performed Eggers regression test to complement the funnel plot. A statistically significant test is indicative of funnel plot asymmetry. In this case, the test was not statistically significant. Thus, our researcher concluded that there was no risk of publication bias. A closer look at the data, however, reveals this conclusion was most likely incorrect. A common misunderstanding of funnel plots and their associated tests is that they measure publication bias when in fact they measure small study bias. 
This type of bias might include publication bias, but it also encompasses other types of bias commonly associated with small studies, such as study quality. A relatively simple funnel plot modification, called a contour-enhanced funnel plot, can help better understand the risk of publication bias compared to small study bias. For a given range of effect sizes and variances, it is possible to calculate levels of statistical significance at every point. As a result, it is possible to visualize ranges of statistical significance, for example, p of 0.05 to 0.01 on a funnel plot. Comparing our original funnel plot with the contour-enhanced funnel plot reveals that despite no apparent evidence of funnel plot asymmetry, half of the included effect sizes had p-values that were very close to 0.05. It is highly improbable that half of the available p-values would lie so close to 0.05. Either these significant studies are also the result of selective analyses, or there are several unpublished studies that exist. Several measures have been developed to correct for bias in meta-analysis, such as p-curve, p-uniform, and the three-parameter selection model, with the latter demonstrating superior performance. But without access to unpublished research, these methods will always be estimates at best. One plausible solution to this scenario is to conduct a meta-analysis that only includes pre-registered empirical studies, such as the recent meta-analysis on power posing from Grinnell and colleagues. Now to our final common issue in meta-analysis effect size dependence. Notice that in the earlier meta-analysis example, there were eight effect sizes but only seven studies. This was due to two effect sizes being extracted from study four. This is a common occurrence as papers sometimes report several outcome measures. However, as these effect sizes were derived from the same study population, they are statistically dependent. As typical meta-analysis procedures assume that effect sizes are statistically independent, combining dependent meta-analyses can lead to biased results. There are several approaches for addressing statistical dependency in meta-analysis. First, you can simply choose one effect size per study. While straightforward, a pre-specified system is required to help select the chosen effect sizes. Otherwise, it can be tempting to simply choose the largest effect. What's more, this approach excludes potentially valuable effect sizes from your analysis. To include more than one effect from a study, it is possible to, to statistically aggregate effects, but to do this, you need to include a measure of within-study correlation, which is almost never reported in papers. If the paper contains raw data, an occurrence which is almost just as rare, within-study correlations can be calculated. Therefore, researchers almost always need to estimate within-study correlations if this approach is to be taken. Alternatively, robust variance estimation can be used to account for effect size dependency without a need to know within study correlations. Meta-analysis is an important tool for better understanding often disparate research areas. This method can provide a more objective summary of a research area than simply vote counting the number of significant and non-significant results. But like almost any statistical tool, meta-analysis can facilitate inaccurate inferences if used inappropriately. With this story, I hope to have provided a brief overview highlighting some common issues in meta-analysis and practical solutions to these problems. For an example of meta-analysis that should be pre-registered, appropriately treat small study bias and account for dependent effect sizes using summary statistics, see Murray and colleagues' 2008 paper. The R script and data to perform the analyses described in the paper are available on the notes for this paper. 
That's all for today's episode of Physiology and Behavior with Dan Quintana. I hope you liked it. And if you did like it, I would really appreciate it if you were to post a link to the episode on Twitter. My name is at DS Quintana, or you can also post it uh, to Facebook and you can find me on Facebook as well. Uh, just check out the links in the show notes. Uh, if you're into video, if you're on Instagram or if you're on YouTube, I also post some of the episodes on those sites there. So check out the show notes. If you have any questions, please let me know. The best way to get into contact is to message me over Twitter via DM at DS Quintana. Bye for now.